Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's now June the 2nd, 2023. The Orioles are 35 and 21. Unfortunately, our freshest memory of them is Wednesday's 12 to 8 loss to the Cleveland Guardians, which featured a number of pitchers failing to varying degrees in their assigned tasks. The fact that this came against Cleveland's uh, near MLB worst offense was kind of distressing. And the Wednesday loss, I, I'm not going to get into a great deal of it because that's two days old news now, but it did. It's, it's unfortunate because a game like that with an off day on Thursday, that gives, and it was a day game too. So that's really like the better part of two full days. Plus, Today, the Orioles won't play until 10 o'clock at night because they're out on the West Coast. So it's really going to be more than 48 hours where that's the freshest Orioles taste in our mouths. And it's not a very good one. And the Wednesday loss has just kind of made me think again about a tongue-in-cheek observation I've been making and also kind of serious recurring thought I've had about the 2023 Orioles along the way which is that they're kind of the, uh, they've got to be like the worst 35 and 21 team ever, right? I mean, there's just, there's so much that feels like it has the potential to go seriously wrong, although obviously it hasn't been so far, doing that so far. But, you know, a lot has gone right, which is why the Orioles have won 35 of their first 56 games. I think the biggest one is Adley Rutschman is just doing great. He is posting a 411 on base percentage even after he kind of went through a bit of a slump recently. He still is maintaining more walks than strikeouts for the season. 
His 1.9 baseball reference wins above replacement is tied for the team lead along with reliever Yenier Cano. The entirety of the starting outfield is hitting an OPS of 835 or better. Uh, The two guys who are healthy right now, Anthony Santander and Austin Hayes, are each above 850. So that's pretty darn good. Adam Frazier, the free agent signing who I was not at all excited about over the offseason, has in fact proven to be capable contact-oriented batter as advertised. I feel like his defense is acceptable with the eye test. The starting pitching, to my surprise, other than Grayson Rodriguez, has not been bad. The quartet of Kyle Bradish, Kyle Gibson, Dean Kramer, and Tyler Wells has combined for a 3.90 ERA as we sit here on June 2nd, a 1.212 whip, and they're averaging about five and two-thirds innings per game. So, I mean, you know, that'll work. It won't be uh, as exciting as some teams' uh, starting rotations. You know, there's not the one guy who you would want to see in, like, a best-of-seven who's going to pitch game one and maybe also game four and game seven or whatever. They don't have that guy. But at the moment, they have four guys who are getting them through a 162-game season, or at least the first two months of a 162-game season, which... That's not nothing. We're going to have to see if they can keep it up. But so far, so good. As long as you don't look at the number five starter spot, which or maybe not the number five spot, but the spot that was combined uh, performance of Cole Irvin and Grayson Rodriguez so far. Anyway, we're talking about the good things right now. So Felix Bautista, while he has been shaky at times, he's still good overall. His ERA is under 1.5. And even if you consider he's due to maybe regress to his level of FIP, that's still a 2.14, I think. So you can still be plenty excited to have that be your primary closer guy. Yenier Cano, of course, remains a revelation, although he has finally given up a few runs. He's still got an ERA under one with some of the rockier games that he has pitched lately. Still in the bullpen. The last-minute spring edition of Danny Colomb is doing fine. He's had a couple of bad games, but he's doing well overall. I will certainly take his performance. I didn't expect that at all either. And he is doing, doing, he's not part of the problem so far. So overall, the Orioles relief core has got a 3.49 ERA, and that's exactly equal to their fielding independent pitching of 3.49. So We would not expect any negative uh, regression or regression in a bad direction, I guess I should say. And, you know, you could maybe even say the Orioles have had, relievers have had some bad luck on batting average on balls in play because uh, reliever BABIP is a 318. So that's actually the second worst among all major league bullpens right now through the 2023 season. So, that's interesting, I guess. It could You could even say maybe they deserve to have done better, and they've already done well. I guess we'll see. Uh, the, other, the other side of the coin, a lot has the potential, I think, to go wrong, which is why every one of the 21 losses seems like it is presaging some kind of disaster that is soon to come. And Former manager Buck Showalter always liked to say that you never look as or you never are as good as you look when you're winning or as bad as you look when you're losing. And I think that's a good phrase to keep in mind. But even with that phrase, I feel like the 
good teams of the Buck Showalter era never quite embodied the you are never as bad as you look when you're losing as maybe the 2023 Orioles have done so far. So here for me are some of the potential problems. Now, of course, the Wednesday loss to these Guardians, MLB's worst run scoring offense, that basically exposed every reliever I didn't just name in the segment of what has gone right. And overall, Orioles relievers are in the top 10 in most innings pitched for bullpen groups. Now, that's not an immediate sign of a poor team because both the Rays and the Yankees are, in fact, ahead of the Orioles. The Orioles are in eighth, and I think the Rays are number one, and the Yankees are like fifth most for reliever innings. So a team can be successful and even more successful than the Orioles since the Rays still have MLB's best record if they have their relievers throwing a lot of innings. But the Rays relievers, I think, are more expected to do that. Their team was more constructed on relying on the bullpen in that way. So I think that we can't necessarily just say, okay, the Orioles can manage it because the Rays did. But maybe it's an okay sign that the Yankees do also. I don't know. I I would still like to see overall starters going deep into games, which maybe they'll be able to manage that if the spot that's currently open that was recently Grayson Rodriguez can get stabilized a little bit more. Uh, as far as specific relievers and who pitched on Wednesday, I mean, every one of Austin Voth, CNL Perez, and Michael Givens pitched so poorly in that game, it could almost justify them having been designated for assignment like within five minutes of the game being ended. Now, that's not how the Orioles operate, and nor is it, nor should it, but you know, CNL Perez, he's still got a whip over two, and we're now talking two months into the season. It's really tough, I think, to keep carrying a reliever who's getting that kind of performance. Uh, I, I feel that Perez is maybe reverting to the kind of pitcher that he was before the Orioles pulled him off the scrap heap last year. I think maybe 2022 was a one-year aberration. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him, I guess. Michael Givens looked diminished on his velocity during his rehab assignment, and he has not looked any better since his return to the Orioles. Still down about two miles an hour over what he was pitching even last year. His command is not there. Maybe that's the rust of he didn't pitch for the six weeks of the season or whatever, but I don't know. I think maybe the Orioles made some optimistic assumptions about how his uh, how his stuff would hold up going into his age 33 season when they signed him and maybe they should just uh, kind of quickly move on from him, even though, you know, they did sign him to be the bullpen veteran, probably at the time they signed him, knowing that Dylan Tate was going to not pitch a significant amount of the 2023 season. But, you know, he, he even though he hasn't been here long, he's not living up to that. And maybe the bullpen veteran is just going to be Danny Cologne. But so, okay. So if the Orioles get rid of all those guys, who replaces them? That's really another question. Because the next wave of relievers down in AAA, I think maybe the easiest one would be just call up Nick Vespi, who's already on the 40-man, and have him replace Perez. That's an easy one. Uh, if you're moving on from someone else, it's not as easy. Uh, there aren't really any other 40-man relievers down there who you would want to see. So you might be talking about guys who are to the Orioles, unknowns. Uh, those are like Edward Bazardo or Reed Garrett who have been getting good results so far for Norfolk, so maybe they would be able to step up in an Orioles bullpen and do as well. I don't know. I hope Mike Elias is thinking about it. 
So as far as continued problems, in outs above average, we've talked about this before, the defense still sucks. That's their 30th out of 30 teams in the StatCast outs above average number. They have minus 18 outs compared to average. Not great. Negatives at five of the seven positions measured by outs above average, which is everything except for pitcher and catcher. Third base is at minus eight. Second base is at minus six. Those are the two worst. So, I mean, that's not great. However, it is worth keeping in mind that other defensive metrics are not nearly as harsh on the Orioles as the StatCast outs above average is. Defensive runs saved is another one. The Orioles are at plus four runs there, which marks them 16th out of 30 teams, acceptably middle of the pack. And ultimate zone rating, which is another defensive metric, the Orioles are plus 5.5 on that number, which is actually the fifth best among all MLB teams. I think probably they're not as good as you would say from the UZR, and they're not as bad as you would say from the outs above average, maybe right about in the middle defensive runs saved. Uh, I would still like to see the Orioles' defensive numbers be better. I think it would certainly help them if they were a top-10 defense instead of just roughly a top-half defense. But, you know, um, they're doing okay by DRS, and I guess what we can hope is that is the most accurate measure of the Orioles' defense rather than what StatCast says. So another nervous thing, and I guess a potential to go wrong, is can the success be sustained from everyone who was listed in the stuff that's gone right so far section. Because first off, we've got the Cedric Mullins injury. He was one of the better performers of the team. He's out of the lineup. He's out on uh, out of playing defense. And so the other outfielders, neither Hayes nor Santander, has got a full season track record, a full 162 game track record at the current level of performance. And in the starting rotation, that's also true for Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, and Tyler Wells. They just haven't had a full season where they've been successful. I think Wells in particular, the homer-prone Tyler Wells is due to have his ERA go up, so the Orioles won't even really have one guy where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's in the low threes. That's pretty good. Um, one guy who did not sustain his early success, Jorge Mateo, he's already cratered after his great April he posted a 316 OPS in May. No, not, not on base percentage or slugging percentage. The two of them added together, 316. Very bad. I'm a little concerned about Yenier Cano. Uh, maybe batters are adjusting to lay off the sinkers below the strike zone a little more, which is going to make it harder for him to get swing and miss over that, or batters pounding those balls into the ground. I don't know. Uh, if they need more starting pitching help, they're pretty close to having exhausted that if we assume that Cole Irvin is about to take the Grayson Rodriguez rotation spot. The next best bet after Irvin is maybe Bruce Zimmerman, who it sounds like is maybe going to be joining the team in San Francisco. He, d- he mysteriously did not pitch on Thursday for the Norfolk Tides after having been scheduled. I think we're going to see that probably means he's joining as the long man in the bullpen for at least a few days. Maybe they'll keep him up for longer than that. So after those two guys were stuck waiting around for John Means to return, which unfortunately we know he's had a setback. He had a uh, injury not related to his throwing arm. Uh, I believe it was a terrace major strain, which is a back muscle. Not great. Okay. So that's this, that's all the stuff that could go wrong. I, I mean, genuinely, there is stuff to be concerned about. We're going to find out over June whether the Orioles can overcome some of, I think, these potential flaws. If you have any thoughts about the current state of the Orioles or just a topic you'd like to hear me talk about on a future episode, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. 
To everyone who's written in so far, thank you very much. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. So let's move on to our prospect of the episode segment. I am still using the 21 to 30 numbers on the composite top Orioles prospect list that I posted to CamdenChat.com. Getting to this point, I am going to start skipping around a little bit because some of the 21 to 30 guys are ones who just don't have any pro track record yet. So very briefly, I'm going to talk right now about number 21, Luis Almeida, who the Orioles signed just this year, a January 15th guy, received a team record $2.3 million signing bonus. The interesting thing about him, he's unique among these international amateur players because he spent a number of years in the United States playing youth baseball here before moving with his family to the Dominican Republic. So that could te- that could maybe mean he's more advanced slightly than the usual player that gets signed out of the Dominican Republic. He has turned 17 since signing, and it is thought, although we'll find out pretty soon because this season will be starting up soon, that maybe Almeida will be able to debut in the U.S. Uh, rookie level league, the Florida Complex League, rather than starting him uh, in the even lower rookie level Dominican Summer League. So he's number 21. We are going to talk more in depth about number 22, which is right-handed pitcher Justin Armbruster. And the interesting thing about him is he is the first Mike Elias drafted pitcher we have encountered in the first uh, through the first 22 names on this top prospect countdown because the six previous pitchers, three of those were Dan Duquette draftees and three of them were trade acquisitions by Mike Elias. So I, f- I find that very interesting because it's a clear, it seems to be a clear strategy by Mike Elias through his first three drafts. These were the earliest rounds in which the Orioles drafted a pitcher, the eighth round, the fifth round, and the fifth round again. And last year in his fourth draft, the Orioles did choose a pitcher, Nolan McLean, in the third round. However, they didn't sign McLean. So it still is the case that the earliest the Orioles have drafted and signed a pitcher under Mike Elias is the fifth round. And everyone seems to be assuming, and I kind of agree with this assumption, that this seems to be connected 
to what happened to the pitchers who were drafted by the Houston Astros when Elias was in Houston and was one of the most influential voices for amateur scouting and the draft operation when he was there in Houston. You had the back-to-back years where number one overall picks went to Mark Appel and Brady Aiken. Appel turned out to be a total bust for the Astros, and Aiken, after he was drafted, it was discovered that Aiken had a uh, ulnar collateral ligament, which is the one that gets replaced in Tommy John, that was abnormally small. So even if he event, it was it was more likely that he was going to need Tommy John surgery, and if he had it, it was going to be less likely to be a success because his UCL was not the average UCL. That's both that that turned out to be exactly what happened. Aiken was drafted by the now Guardians the year later after not signing with Houston and. He, uh, he, he did not have a very good career, unfortunately, for him. But beyond just the number one, you also had 2016 Astros first rounder Forrest Whitley picked at number 17, and he has still not made it to MLB. Uh, he was a top 100 prospect for a while, but he's, uh, he was a high school pitcher, and he kind of washed out. And then the 2017 Houston first rounder, J.B. Bukoskis, who they picked out of the college ranks at number 15 that year, He's made MLB, but he has yet to pitch well in either of his major league stops. So that's a lot of busts for first round picks on the, uh, the for, you know, for Houston. And Mike Elias was a big guy, influential in making those picks. So I think maybe the lesson he's learned is you don't want to pick high, pitchers high. Just get hitters and trade for pitchers later. Uh, or pick them in much later rounds. Which brings us to Justin Armbruster, who was a 12th round pick in the 2021 draft. And even in the 12th round, he was only the third pitcher chosen by the Orioles that year. So they're just, they're really avoiding pitchers high in the draft. So our Brewster himself, he's a six foot four inch right-handed pitcher. He came from the university of New Mexico. The Orioles gave him a signing bonus of $100,000. That's a little bit below the $125,000 max for 11th round and later pitchers to have them not count against the uh, draft slot signing bonus numbers. His college stats in his draft year, he struck out 101 batters and walked only 21 in 78 innings for New Mexico in his, what was his fourth year, but it made him a COVID junior because of what NCAA decided to do with the 2020 years. So I think that strikeout to walk rate probably got him on the Orioles draft models radar, and then they uh, drilled down for some more advanced data and decided to draft him. So since Armbruster did pitch four years in college due to the COVID uh, and then the 2020 shortened draft, he was already 22 on draft day and is now already in his age 24 season for his second full pro season. Last year, between Aberdeen and Bowie, he struck out 126 batters, walked 34 in 117 innings, combined ERA between those two levels of 3.85. Pretty good. Bit more concerning. He allowed 21 home runs in that time. But so far this year, he's doing even better, a 1.40 ERA over nine starts with AA Bowie with a 1.089 whip. The strikeout rate, however, is down by about a third compared to last year, but he's also cut the home run rate in half. So I find Armbruster interesting because it seems like, well, to me, the kind of less heralded prospects that become interesting are the ones who just put up good numbers and maybe you or I don't even necessarily know why. I don't know why Armbruster is not a higher ranked prospect, you know, but I just, the guys who just get results, I find them to be interesting and I often latch on to them and 
root for them to make it. And Arm Brewster is definitely moving into that category for me, although I hope he turns out better than one of the previous guys who I latched onto for this reason. And I don't even know why I remember him, but in 2016, 2015 and 16, the Orioles had a minor leaguer. Uh, his name was Joe Gunkel. And every time I did a minor league recap on Camden Chat, it seemed like he was doing well. So I was just delighted to come across his name. I gave him the nickname of the Gunk, and I just called him Joe the Gunk Gunkel, and I just wanted him to make it. He had a modestly good ERA for the Norfolk Tides in the 2016 season. At that time, there was a lot of crap in the Orioles' big league starting rotation. So I was always rooting for them to just call up the Gunk. Give him a try. Let's see what he can do instead of Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright and Giovanni Gallardo and Wade Miley and Ubaldo Jimenez. But they never did. They didn't do it. Didn't give him a chance. And so the gunk, he never made it to Major League Baseball. He's pitched the last four seasons in Japan. So I hope Arm Brewster can end up better than Joe Gunkel. For now, he is in that category for me. Uh, I mean, he's had good good results. He's now made 23 starts for Bowie between last year and this year. So I'm pretty ready to see the Orioles kick him up to Norfolk and see what happens. I, I don't know why they haven't done it yet. Now, unlike the gunk, Arm Brewster does at least get a little bit of notice from the uh, scouting writers and the people who put together rankings. The folks at Fangraphs put Arm Brewster as the number 24 prospect in the Orioles system, and here's what they said about him. Quote, Arm Brewster has added velocity to his fastball since entering pro ball, and has also begun to use a second breaking ball. He now has a standard four-pitch offering. At least one of his offerings would ideally take a step forward so he can comfortably profile as a starter. He performed well at AA in his first full season and has already made multiple adjustments as a pro, so there's reason to believe this can happen. End quote. I mean, that's a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice thing to have about the number 24 guy. I, uh, you know, he's not headed for a number one spot in a starting rotation, but if they believe in his ability to make adjustments and Certainly, he's looking pretty good with his double-A buoy results so far this year. That's an encouraging sign for him going forward. You know, the or we're all excited for John Means to get back to the Orioles, and he was another guy. He was basically a non-prospect. Um, the, the rankings just didn't really have much to think about him, and even the Orioles themselves, I don't think, were in the early months of Mike Elias taking over. I, I'm sure they didn't predict John Means was going to take the step forward he did. But then he showed up to spring training that first year. He looked like a different guy, and he was a mainstay. You know, he's been a mainstay in the rotation through the bad Orioles years of Mike Elias, and I hope that he can get back and participate in a good Orioles season because he certainly deserves it. So I guess we'll see if Arm Brewster can become the next home more or less unheralded. I mean, if you're a 12th-round pick, you're pretty unheralded, and maybe he can just pitch his way into the conversation Goodness knows the Orioles need it. They, uh, they've yet to have an Elias-drafted pitcher make it, and even the guys that Elias traded for, you know, the best one so far is Kyle Bradish, who I'm not totally confident can keep up his current level of results. So we're going to need some more guys like Justin Armbruster and others to hopefully step themselves up and into the picture to have a sustained era of Orioles success. Can Armbruster do it? Am I going to end up giving him a silly nickname like the Gunk? I don't know. I hope so. It would be fun. But for now, we'll see what he can do. He will hopefully be at Norfolk soon. That's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review, or tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. 
New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you again on Monday morning, hopefully, with a better San Francisco Giants series to talk about than what we just got from the Orioles series against the Cleveland Guardians. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on CamdenChat.com, or you can find me on Twitter at CamdenChat. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.